I had another one of those, uh, excuse my raspy voice, I had one of those long prayer nights. <laughs> Praying with loud shouting. <laughs> Fervently. God help LSU! No. But it was, it was quite a game. It's like, wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We could have lost that game ten, ten different ways. You know they had an earthquake right after LSU won? I, I told a friend of mine, that, that was God leaving the stadium after his team won. No. Just <laughs> All right, cool. So good to be back. We had a great time in Slidell, the three days in Slidell, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I want to encourage you to, wow, it's really loud today. Um, this is going to change one of these days. I think... As we get bigger in here, we need more space anyway. And I think we'll maybe we'll do, pray about this, because I haven't asked Park about this yet, but don't put this on the tape. No. Um, but I'd like to meet in the main sanctuary in the morning at the very big, front part of the stage if, if they can just uh, stop the rehearsal 15 minutes early. That's all it would take. And then we go right into our class after rehearsal, do our class, and then we'd end on time and... I think it'll bring more people in too because they might come in and see, you know, what's going on down there and sit in the back. Next week they'll come closer, closer, closer. It's a plan. I think it'd be cool because then we have more space. I wouldn't be up on the stage or anything. I'd just be on the floor, you know, but like this. But it'd be cool to just have more room. Anyway, it's my Christmas wish. But we had a really good time in Slidell. God was so uh, faithful to speak to in Slidell. I want to encourage you to, um, if you haven't already, the last meeting we had on Sunday, um, October, it's, it's on the website, October 23rd, uh, Sunday, part three of the weekend. Very unusual, usual anointing and message. Um, I told Barbara, I said, Barbara, I want you to just relax and listen to this all the way through in one sitting and tell me what happens she texts me back oh my god and I haven't heard yet what happened but it's really it's really special there's something special uh, in that message that flowed and just really powerful and there were there were there were just there were, there were moments there were moments saints when I really felt the Lord himself like honey coming through my vocal cords and I felt, I sensed that he was removing veils off of minds. It was cool. Because his word removes veils. And that was our big prayer is that the Spirit of God would open the understanding of the Scriptures. You know how he opened the understanding of the disciples' minds in Luke, last chapter of Luke? He said he opened their minds that they might understand the Scriptures. It was, it was cool. It was a, it was a spiritual importation of, of uh, revelation. Like Paul, Paul prayed for the church and said, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be opened. This is talking to believers. The eyes of your heart be opened. That you might receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That, that, that there'd be an impartation of revelation and knowledge. It's cool. And Paul prayed that for the church. That the, that the church's eyes will be fully opened. The new heart. The new heart. The eyes of your heart. The eyes of your new heart. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. I want to share some thoughts about the new heart today. But the eyes of our new heart be fully open. 
You know, we're, we're, we're born into this world, like we've said this before, like little kittens. We're born, we're born of God like little kittens with our eyes closed. We're still, we're alive, we're, real, we're a real cat. We're not going to be any more of a, less a cat or more of a cat, we're a cat. And we're, when we're born of the Spirit, we are a son and daughter of God, and we're not going to be any more or better or less than the moment we're born of the Spirit. We are just as holy and righteous and blameless as we'll ever be when we're born of Him. But there's an opening of the eyes that takes place. As we grow in the revelation of who we are, who He is, who He is in us, inside of us, not outside of us, but now inside of us. Awesome covenant that God would actually cut a covenant in such a way to remove sin, so remove sin, so remove our evil heart, so remove all that would separate us from Him that He would live inside of us and we inside of Him 24-7. Nothing separating us from the love of God again, ever. Awesome. Seize it with Him in heavenly places. I texted a brother the other day about uh, the new Adam, the last Adam. And uh, it's just so cool about um, how he, and the, the first Adam, you know, Paul talked about Adam, you know, a man is either in Adam or in Christ. Paul talked about the, the last Adam in reference to Christ, the last Adam who came from above. Um, he talked about these things, Adam. And I was just, I was pondering these things. And I, I texted this brother and I said, what we have is so awesome because God, God breathed into the nostrils of Adam made from dust. And he became a living soul. But the last Adam, the Christ, terminated the Adamic race on the cross. For he was born of a woman of Adam. Under the law, Galatians says. He was born of a woman of Adam. Under the law. He terminated the entire Adamic race the race that received the breath of God through nostrils and dust became living he terminated that and at his resurrection he began a new creation the last Adam and in that new creation God raised a new race a new creation a new species not just breath in the nostrils of one form from the dust but this Adam was raised through life and overcame the power of death of which the first Adam had no power over death in fact he ended up dying this Adam the last Adam was raised with power over death and over all evil all principalities and powers that's what Paul was trying to say in Ephesians he has been raised by the power of the Father far above all principalities and powers he has raised him through the from from death into life he has conquered all things And He has brought you and I in union with Him to sit with Him in heavenly places with the last Adam. You are part of the new Adamic race from above. Hallelujah. That's unbelievable. I mean, you you and I are... it's, It's not that God has restored us to what it was before in the garden. My God, this Adam is from above. This is the Lord from heaven, Paul says. The Lord from heaven, the last Adam. He has come and He has tasted death for the entire Adamic race. He has blotted out all flesh and He has raised up a new race, a new species, a new people. Once you were not a people and now you have become the people of God. Once, uh, once alienated from Him, now you're His kids, sons and daughters of the living God. A holy nation, a royal priesthood. Yes. Members of the new Jerusalem. Amen. Yes. <laughs> it's awesome. And that's, that's the reality of who you are. And who I am. But sometimes we sin. We stumble. We mess up. And we think, oh God. 
why am I acting like this? I'm supposed to be this creature of the heavenly realm and I'm acting like a beast. A beast. A mere beast. A fleshly, stupid beast. Why would I even do that? Why would I think that? Why would I act like that? What is going on here? Well, welcome to the club. We all have that experience. Every one of us. Even Paul. Paul says, what is the deal? When I want to do good, I do evil. And when I, want to do, when I don't want to do evil, I end up doing the evil. You know, Romans 7. The struggle. Flesh and spirit. But have you noticed, saints, the moment you step into the spirit, if you really know the truth, nothing's changed. God's still there. God still loves you. You're still righteous. Unrighteous acts, like Clark says, unrighteous acts do not make a righteous person unrighteous. Any more than righteous acts makes an unrighteous person righteous. You and I are righteous because we are in Him. You see, the shield of faith will quench every fiery dart. What am I saying? I'm saying to believe this is to quench every, Paul says, every fiery dart. And and the Spirit showed me that fiery dart is a fiery missile. It's powerful. It's, it's, It's set to take you down in terms of you being discouraged. You looking down on yourself. You feeling like, I'll never measure up. I'll never be good enough. Maybe I'm not even saved. My God, how can I be saved and act like this? All these doubts of the enemy. The shield of faith quenches every fiery dart. Because we believe what he has done. So I want to talk a little bit about about how... What's the right way to handle uh, when we're in a tailspin? I've been in tailspins before. Have you ever been in a tailspin where the, the flesh is like, you know, you can't, a plane is in a tailspin when they, it can't level off. It's like it's going to crash. It's, it feels like it's going to crash. It's like, what's going on? When the enemy comes in like a flood, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the scripture says the spirit of the Lord will lift up a shield against it. The battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord's. All these things begin to come to your mind by the Spirit. Like rest, rest, rest. Don't be afraid. Rest, rest. Scripture says that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. But it says something else first before that line. The line above it says, submit yourself unto God. Then it says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now the word submit in the Greek means come under his wings. It's not a submission like a slave submission. It's a running to him. David had that. David, he wrote about, I run to God, my high tower. I run into God, my tower, my strength, my fortress. I run into God. So what we do first, we don't fight the devil on our level ground. We can't win. The angels didn't even bring railing accusations to Lucifer. Too powerful. Even the angels didn't do that. What you do, what, what I do, what we do, is we run to God and we rest. We come boldly to a throne of grace to help, to find mercy in time of need. The very running to God is the resisting of the devil. The very, the very standing, standing and trying to fight the devil is not the way. We run into God. 
And then what happens is it's like this. You're running into God. And suddenly this armor begins to appear on you. And you don't like, how did this happen? And it's God. Because it was always there. It was always there, but it becomes visible. The helmet, the shield, the buckler, the shield, the sword. Like, you begin to be fitted by the Spirit of God. And you stand. You're able to stand in the evil day. And he has no defense. The enemy has no defense on the fit of the finish, against the finished work of Christ. He has no defense to the blood of Christ. The scripture says in Revelation that the, the saints overcame the devil, the beast, the evil one, because of the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto the death. They were more alive in the other world than this world. They saw that world more than they saw this world. It's awesome. But there's, but there's, a wrong, there's wrong thinking out there about how to handle this stuff. As you know, terrible wrong thinking. So I ran across this, this pastor who, wrote a, who writes a blog in North Carolina. I'm not going to say his name, but he writes a blog in Pastors of Church in North Carolina. So I'm going to use his blog as an example of, of what is wrong. And, I'm, and I'm, I want to do it graciously and I want to do it in a nice way as if he's in the room. Because I'm not trying to hurt him. He's a brother. He's a brother in the Lord. He's an Assembly of God preacher up in North Carolina. And his blog, I want to take it line by line. It's a very short little blog he wrote. How to handle sin, repentance, all that stuff. And this, what he wrote in this blog is very commonly taught. Not just in the Assembly of God churches, but in the Pentecostal churches, in the Baptist churches, in the Methodist churches. This is, this, what you'll hear in a few seconds, in a few seconds, is what's commonly taught in the church worldwide. And that's why the saints are having such a problem. That's why the saints are in such bondage. That's why the saints are fighting each other and devouring one another. That's why the saints can't forgive each other. That's why the saints don't have joy. That's why the saints are sick of church. That's why the world doesn't want to join a church and join in your misery, you know. It's not that you're misery, miserable, but, you know, it's just, why, why be invited to something that, I mean, that's why a lot of people don't invite people to church because, you know, why should I have them be as miserable as I am? I'm all condemned every Sunday and, you know. Anyway, so I want to read that it's, it's on the, uh, oh, hey, Lynn, good to see you. Hey, Leah, good to see you. Oh, my God. That's, that's fine. All the way from Winter Haven. Thank you so much. Awesome. These guys are so awesome. Oh, well. Um, anyway, so I've got, I've got it on the internet here, the, um, the blog. I want to read some of the words. And, and I, I want to accomplish a couple of things by doing this. First of all, I want, I want to encourage you to question everything. Don't think just because someone says, Pastor, I'm a pastor, that they have it right. I mean, Paul said this in the book of Galatians. He said, if, I, if, if an angel of heaven speaks to you different from what I've preached to you, don't listen to it. Don't listen to that angel. It's a false angel. Paul even said this. He said, if I change, if I change what I first preached to you about the gospel, don't listen to me. That's pretty powerful. That's, that's Galatians. He basically said, hey, Sam, he basically said, if you, hey, um, if you hear me say something different, because Paul knew he heard from God. He knew he heard from Christ. And if, if for some reason he started changing what he was saying, he said, don't listen to me either. The scripture says in the book of Acts that the saints, the more noble believers would search these things to see if what the apostles were saying were true. The Bereans, we call them the noble Bereans. They would search the scriptures to see if these things were true. 
And they found them to be true. In fact, it's better to search it out because if I can talk you into something, the next guy can talk you out of it. But if I can tell you something by the Spirit and you look it up in the Scripture and the Spirit confirms it in your heart, no man can take that from you. It's awesome. So it's really important to question everything, not not in a cynical way, but in a discerning way. John says, test the spirits to make sure they're of God. Test them, you know, be discerning. Because I'm telling you, there's a lot of false, wrong, messed up teaching out there. In this generation, a lot. We've had centuries of bad stuff. And it's layers upon layers upon layers. And it's the revelation of the, of the gospel, the true gospel that cuts through this stuff that makes you start to rethink what we have believed and what we have been taught. I mean, I, can, I know there's story after story in this room right now of people that have said that you'll say, I know, I know, for 10 years or 15 years, I used to believe this. And when I heard this, oh my God, my life changed. Or I've, all my life, I didn't really think God loved me. I thought he loved everybody else, but not me. But then when I really heard the true gospel, I really, it really broke through that he loves me. You know, I've heard that a thousand times. It's so cool because the true gospel is powerful. And let me just summarize the gospel for you real quick. Real quick. The, the gospel is this, the good news. It's first good news. And it's news because it's already happened. It's news this morning that LSU won. (laughs) Got to get that on tape. (laughs) LSU won, and it's news. The good news is news. It's already happened. You're telling someone something that's already happened. You're not telling them something to do. You're telling them something that has already happened. You're, you're, You're giving them a message about what God did. Good news. And this is it. In all simplicity, this is it. And God told me to say it this way. It's so cool. The good news is that if you will believe on him, you will see that he has stopped counting sin. That's it. That's it. If you will believe on him, you will see that he has stopped. He has stopped counting sin. What neighbor would not want to hear that news? You could go to your neighbor and say, bro, look, I got to tell you, man, God's real. He's really real. He created all this stuff you see. And he loves you, man. He really is real. He loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to be with him. And guess what? If you believe in what he did, he has stopped counting your sin. And if you believe on him, he'll never count your sin against you the rest of your life. Ever. Ever. For God was in Christ reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting their sins against them anymore. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account anymore. Blessed is that man. For this is the covenant I cut with you in those days. I will remember your sins no more. I will be merciful to all your iniquities. For this is the covenant because of Christ. For he punished his son for us, for all sin, for all people, for all time. This is the good news. That's it.
Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Is that good news? And that leads the Spirit then. By that, you, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit by simply believing what He did. Then God can count you in our righteous because you believe that He did it. Then He joins Himself to us with the gift of the Spirit and raises us new on the inside, creating us new, a new heart. And the Spirit then takes it from there and shows us all the things about our dad. For the Spirit was given to show us the deep things of God. The Spirit is given to show us the thoughts of God, to to think the thoughts of God through us. And our mind is progressively renewed to the new reality as a son, as a daughter of God, raised from the dead, forgiven forever. A high priest who ever lives, a high priest who has taken our sin away, and because he's alive, that sin will never be counted against us again. I swear with an oath, God says, I swear. I swear by my own self. Your high priest lives forever. It's done. After the order of Melchizedek, a higher priesthood than Levi, not just a covering, not just a daily forgiveness, once for all, a judgment has occurred on the earth in this man, a judgment for all sin, for all people, for all flesh, for all time. For he, he offered himself up by the eternal spirit and brought judgment to this earth in his own body. And raised a new creation from the new Adam. That's the good news. Isn't that awesome? Awesome. Now, that's the gospel. That's the good news. God has stopped counting sin. Where there is no law, sin is not imputed. You're no longer under law, but under grace. Where there's no law, there's no transgression. We sin at times as believers because we're learning how to live by Him who is within us. But when you sin and you're not under law, sin is not imputed, nor are you considered a transgressor, the Scripture says. That's why Paul says, if I, when I sin, am I making, does that mean Christ is the minister of sin? Is Christ the, the, the author of this sin? If I sin as a believer, he goes, God forbid, of course not. But I don't go back under the law and make myself a transgressor either, Paul said. Sin is not imputed in Christ. Awesome. It's a secret of freedom to know the simplicity of what God did in taking away our sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just covers it, takes it away. Just simple faith in Him brings us into union with Him. And then we become as He is in the world. As He is, so are we. Scripture says, as He is righteous, so are we. Not in our own righteousness, but in Him. Awesome. It's so cool. It's God's way. It's God's grace. Okay. All right. I'm going to read. This is the blog. I wanted to say the gospel first because I think when you hear this blog, how this pastor says to handle sin, it'll just, you know. And I hope, I hope someday, someday he hears this tape and maybe it'll help him see some things. I really I feel bad for the people that sit under this kind of teaching. And it's widespread. It's not just him in North Carolina. It's, it's widespread in the church. And there's people that go to church this morning that will be sitting there listening to stuff like this. They will leave depressed. They will li- leave discouraged. They will leave hopeless. Some will leave... Uh, you actually have this thing that goes on with the natural man. Some will leave uh, emboldened uh, because they want to be raked over the coals. It's a, it's a twist. It's a... It's a uh, what's the word? It's a... Uh, 
It's a, it's, a, it's a wrong thinking in the natural man. Paul told the Corinthians, he goes, these guys come after me. I preach the grace of God. And these guys come after me preaching law. They slap you in the face. They abuse you. And you love it. And you take it. That's Corinthians. That's Paul. He goes, I'm preaching the grace of God and the awesome reality of God's love for you. And you kind of doubt, it can't be that good. And then these guys come in and wreck you over the coals. And you go, that's got to be the truth because, man, I, I deserve this. I deserve that. The natural man defaults to punishment. The natural man defaults to being raked over the coals. You've heard people say, you know, man, wasn't that a great sermon? He really raked me over the coals this morning. What is that? What is that? That's the good news? Raking me over the coals? But the natural man, is the tendency is to want to get slapped, hit, beat up because you feel like you deserve it. As opposed to Realizing that, yeah, we deserve it, but there was another who got slapped, another who got beaten, and another who bled. And we do no honor to his death by not boasting in him. We boast in Christ. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. That word right there will save your life. When the enemy comes in like a flood, you lift that shield and you go, where sin abounds. Grace does much more abound because of Christ. And he backs up every time. He's got to back up. I remember that time I told you this one time I was driving. I was like, the enemy was coming at me big time in my mind and stuff. And, and I was driving in tears. And I, said, I just said, I said, Father, fight for me. Fight for me. Man, God was like ticked off at Satan. It was like my car filled with his presence. He was like... It was like all the, you know, it's like he just blew away whatever little demon was around me. You know, it's like, oh my God. And then I, I turned instantly from this burden and, and sadness to this joy. Same tears. Now I had different tears. It was so cool. I'll never forget that. I, I remember the highway I was driving on, where I was driving. But I was just at the, my wits' end. I said, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. You know, God, fight, Father. I said, Father, fight for me. Whoa, he, Daddy loves that. Dad loves that. He loves a David against a Goliath. He loves it when you cry out to him. He fights for us. He fought for us on the cross and he won. And we stand in his victory. We're more than conquerors because we don't have to conquer anything. That's what that means. More than conquerors in him because we don't have to conquer anything. He conquered it all. A conqueror has to fight and win and stand. We don't have to fight and win and stand. We just stand in him. So cool. Gosh, I'm not going to get to this. I almost hate to read this because I don't want this in your mind. But we can handle it. But the, the two things I wanted to, from this, I guess, is first see, you know, what's wrong about this. And also to, to encourage you to test everything. And don't, be, don't feel like someone, someone has pastor on his business card means anything. It doesn't mean anything. What matters is what comes out of his mouth. What he says. The scripture says the beast looked like a lamb. Lamb looked like a lamb. Spoke like a dragon. The book of Revelation says the beast looked like a lamb. He spoke like a dragon. So it's the words that come out that's important. What are they saying? And of course their life. You shall know them by their fruits. Their life. And I read some of the other blogs on this blog this pastor has. And I feel bad for him. He lives a miserable life. He really does. 
I read some of his other blogs. He talks about how he's all insecure when he preaches a sermon. If people are going to like him or not like him, whether his message is going to you know, be accepted. I mean, you can see just re- it reeks with insecurity and fear. And I, 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 I just I feel I feel bad for him. He's just he's he's like all these other pastors that are trying to keep their jobs and keep their money coming and you know keep their position and not rock the boat and you know they, how can they hear God? They got so much vested interest in, their, in the system. They can't, they can't just go and hear God and start saying stuff like God's not counting sin anymore. The assembly of God will have a big meaning real fast. <laughs> but that's the gospel. And you know what? If people don't say to you, like they said to Paul, if they don't say to you, well, Paul, what you're telling us, man, well, let's just go sin that grace may abound. I mean, what, from what you're telling us, Paul... It sounds like we should just go sin that grace may abound. If people are not saying that to you, you're not preaching the gospel. That's what they said to Paul. They had the impression, it's wrong, of course, and he corrected them. But notice how he corrected them. It's wrong to say, let's go sin that grace may abound. But they had the impression after hearing Paul preach that, dang, this is good. Well, let's just go sin that we have more grace. There was no question in their mind. They had no thought that God was going to get them if they sinned or God was holding them in their sin. They would never have said that. They would never have said that. They would never have seen or, or perceived that. But Paul corrected them and he didn't say, oh, no, no, you can't go to that. God's going to hammer you. you know, you're going to get hit with a club. No, he said, you, you don't understand. When you get into this, how can you keep doing what, what you're not? No, you're not. You died. A new life has come. If you just trust God, you'll realize you have new DNA. You have new, a new want to. New desires. A new reality comes forth. And you find yourself a new tree bearing different fruit effortlessly as you abide. He's the vine. We're the branches. We merely abide. Jesus said, just abide in me and let me abide in you. You'll bear much fruit. Don't be moved. Don't be moved from my work, from the truth of who you are in me and I and who I am in you. Just, just abide. So, anyway, let's, go, let's just start it real quick. Okay, he starts off in his blog. The title of it is, Four Ways We Must Betray Our Sin. And that's just a clever way of saying, you know, how to overcome it. Four ways we must betray our sin. This is, this is his blog. It's, it's fairly short. On a morning and nightly basis, I have a time with God where he and I deal with my sin. It's not a long time, but it's crucial. Last night as I laid down, I asked the Holy Spirit to bring anything to mind where my heart was not right. Any rebellion, any misaligned thoughts and motivations, any sins of omission, things I should have done but refused to do. He quickly reveals any sin to me, and I humbly lay it all down and repent. Many have the misconception that repentance is just telling God you're sorry or that it's just a one-time thing when you first get saved. But repentance should actually be a daily discipline so that our heart remains tender to God. I see repentance as having four characteristics. This is kind of a message on repentance. And here is four characteristics of repentance. Number one, confession. Whether verbally said aloud or acknowledged in the heart to God... Here, repentance, repentance is acknowledging our sin before God. It's owning it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't want to read everything. It's kind of long. But number two, spiritual. It's not enough to say I was wrong. I feel bad. Please forgive me. Confession alone is not repentance. Repentance is truly coming to a place of removing our affections from our 
our uh, rebellion, hating it, betraying it, turning our back on it, walking out. Number three, practical. So we've confessed spiritually, we've, we've confessed, we've spiritually turned our back on our sin. Now, number three, we need to do things practically. Um, and that means uh, if, if there's anything that causes us to stumble, we don't go back to that place. Um, let's see, it means there is, if there's anything tangible nature to it, we deal with it. Examples of not going back to a place where we're prone to sin, leaving a relationship that's dragging you down, et cetera, et cetera. That's number three. Number four, relational. And if our sin, if we've hurt somebody else, we need to go to that person and ask forgiveness for them, from them um, and go immediately to keep our heart tender. All right. The last two things are no problem. It's, you know, he mentions a practical thing that you know, if, if, if something is causing us to stumble, you know, it's just wisdom not to go... And put ourselves in a position, give no place to the enemy, the scripture says. You know, and, but the problem with that is that he, if you see, that's it. That's the four things. Now, let me try to, there's so much I want to say here. but Okay, keeping your heart tender, this is the last paragraph. Keeping your heart tender through repentance should be a daily spiritual discipline. Allow this soul scrubbing in your life to be life-giving as you turn your back on your sin and embrace the one who paid an incredible price so that you could be a new creation in him. What about you? What are some ways that you deal with your sin as a Christian? That's the end of the blog. What's really, really glaringly wrong about this is that, but what is, what is not said? What is not said? Um, his answer to sin in the believer's life is number one, to confess it, to own it, to... Well, actually, he starts off by morning and night asking God to show him his sin. Now, how does that fit? How does that fit with Paul's words when he says, this one thing I do, Paul said, this one thing I do, I forget that which is past. How do you reconcile Paul's one thing admonition to us that he forgets that which is past and he moves forward? How do you reconcile the truth that God's not counting our sin against us? Because he did deal with our sin. He already dealt with it. John the Baptist says the axe is laid to the root of the tree. The cross dealt with the very root of sin, which is the flesh. How do you, how do you answer those scriptures? That's why there's so much confusion in the church. And the Holy Spirit is not sent to convict us of sin. There's no verse, there's no scripture that says that. In fact, this entire exercise of meeting with God in the morning and the evening, asking him to show us our sin so we can deal with it, is nowhere found in the scripture. Nowhere. The apostles didn't teach it. The Christians didn't practice it. It's nowhere in the scripture. If that was so important, they would have said it at least once. You know, you, every morning, every evening, ask God to show you your sin so you can deal with it. No. Just the opposite. So what's... What's not being said here? Well, he's got confession, and he's got this thing called spiritual, spiritual repentance, which is really turning away from your, from your sin or whatever, and that's, that can be good if it's understood properly. But another problem with this whole word of repentance is that we've added so much baggage to it. The word repentance just means to change your mind. That's why in Romans 7, you have Paul talking about he's doing the very thing he hated. He, you know, the very thing he didn't want to do, he ended up doing. And, he was, and in Romans 7, if you read 6, 7, and 8, all the context, he never mentions repentance as an answer to that. So here's Paul committing sin, and repentance is not an answer to it. Why? Because he already hates what he's doing. 
If you hate what you're doing in the flesh, if you've already changed your mind about, and you realize you agree with God that, yeah, that's not Christ-like, and I don't want to do that, I don't want to be like that anymore, you've repented. So here's Paul actually committing sin and never mentions the word repentance as an answer to that problem because he'd already repented. On the other hand, he talked about the brother who was sleeping with his mother's, with his uh, father's, his mother, yes, his his father's, his mother's wife, father's wife, probably his stepmother, we think. And he, and that was something wrong and fleshly. And Paul says he needs to repent. He needs to change his mind about that because that's not Christ-like. And he did. He changed his mind. And then Paul says, restore that brother, encourage him in the, in the faith. Because he realizes that's, that's flesh, that's not good, that's carnal. That's hurting him, hurting people, hurting others. And that's the case where Paul said, yeah, he does need to repent. He needs to change his mind. That's not good. That's not life. That's, that's not Christ. But, but the Christ, I disagree totally with this statement that the Christian life is a daily uh, life of repentance. It, it absolutely is not. Hebrews says, lay not again the foundation of repentance. Move on. Why are we still living, repenting of everything? I mean, is there anything that we don't really know is not Christ-like? I mean, that's all it is. Change your mind about things. I mean, do, you, do we all agree gossip is not Christ-like? Slander? I mean, go down the list in Galatians. Jealousy, hatred, murder, stealing. I mean, do we really have to repent? Of, no, we don't have to repent of those things unless you st- still think that murder is okay, you know. I'm telling you, repentance has been way, 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 way overvalued because we don't see the gospel. Repentance is not the answer to everything. In fact, it's, it's a part of the answer if you need it. Even Jesus said, you know, there's some people don't need repentance. Jesus said that himself. Because they already see. They already changed their mind. What's, le- what's being left out in this blog of just talking about naming your sins and asking God to show you sins so you can deal with it? He doesn't even say how he deals with it. He just... I don't know, repent, he said, I just changed my mind about it, whatever. I mean, what's he doing? Every morning, every night, how much sin is he committing? It's ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? I mean, why do you have to repent of something? If you've already, just because, in other words, just because you're doing something, if you hate what you're doing, you don't need repentance for that. What we need is a renewal of the mind, which is a constant work of the Spirit to renew our mind to see who we are and see who God is. So what is left out in here? What's left out in here is the powerful apostolic exhortation to the saints to set your mind on things above and not the flesh. Totally ignored in this blog. Completely ignored. The apostolic admonition to the believer in Christ is not to look back to the flesh, not to look at the flesh, not to look at sin in the flesh, for there's no good thing in your flesh, Paul says, but, oh, but not to look at the flesh, but to turn your eyes to Christ, to look to Him, to behold Him in your inner man, Paul says, as you behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, you are transformed into the same image you're looking at from glory to glory as we, as new creations begin to see who we are in Him. For we have been created new in Him. And as we see the image of the One who created us, we become manifestly manifested as we see Him as He is. That's the dynamic of heaven. Totally missed in this blog because they don't see it. And if you don't see that, all you have is a law-based solution to sin. A law-based solution to sin is all about focusing on sin because you can't focus on something you don't see. It's all about trying to get cleaned up every day. And if you notice in the blog, he talks about the heart, cleaning the heart up. He doesn't see you have a new heart. I mean, he's dead in the water before he begins. If you don't see you have a new heart as a Christian, then good luck. 
Good luck. Oh, yeah, he said, I didn't read this part. He said, he said, then you can deal with your sin and put Jesus back on the throne of your heart where he rightfully belongs. That's great. Can you do that? If you could do that, Jesus didn't have to come. God didn't have to come. If you can cleanse your heart by some technique of confession, if you can cleanse your heart by some technique of confession and put Jesus back on this, in your heart as the center of your heart because that's where he rightly belongs, he's kidding himself. Listen, only God can put God in the center of your heart. It's a resurrection. It's an creation, act of creation. He joined himself to us by an act of creation. He has removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Removed it. It's his own guilty conscience that's telling him all his sins every morning and every evening. It's not the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's grieved. The Spirit has come to show us the things of Christ. There is not a single verse in the New Testament that says the Holy Spirit is sent to convict the, world, I mean, convict the believer of sin. Not a single verse. It says the Spirit convicts the world of sin because they believe not on Jesus. But the Spirit is sent to convince the believer that he's righteous in Jesus. And that the prince of this world, the one who's accusing you, has been judged. Not you, him. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's awesome. The Holy Spirit shows you that you are righteous. How can the, in the world can we live with a schizophrenic God that on one side is telling you all about sin and then, oh, by the way, you're really righteous, oh, but now you're not. Well, now you are. That's exactly why people don't feel close to God. You cannot grow in your awareness of your union with Him, which is the awesome work of the new covenant. You cannot grow in this awareness of your union with Him with this kind of thinking in that blog. You can't do it. And that's the work of the enemy, to keep you and I sin-focused. The Scripture says, and under the old covenant, there was a remembrance of sin, year by year, day by day, a remembrance of sin under the old covenant because the sin was covered, not taken away. But under the new covenant... There's not a remembrance of sin every day, every, every year. There's not that. It's a remembrance of Him. Do this in remembrance of me, He said, with the bread and the wine. Do this in remembrance of me, for my body was broken for your sin. My blood was shed for your sin. It is done. It is finished. That's what He wants us to hear. That's your power. And we grow in that awareness. And yes, there's a place. For, I'm not saying... There's a place for repentance if repentance is needed to change our minds about things. But let me tell you something. This, we talked about this once before. It's like you're going down I-4. Say you're going, you're going uh, west down I-4 and you really need to be going east. And so you need to repent, change your mind, and go east. And there's an there's a exit right here. So you take this exit. It goes underneath the overpass. Gets back up here so they can get in this lane and head east, right? So you're on I-4 heading west. You want to, you want to repent. And by the way, repent is, 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 I've said this before, but repent is just a word that means change your mind. And we should, we start, we should start using that word more often in our daily talk. Like, let's, you know, let's, you know I was going to go to Olive Garden, but I repented and I decided to go to uh, Ruth Chris Steakhouse. <laughs> that's a good repentance. <laughs> but that's what it is. It just means change your mind. It doesn't mean weeping and crying and changing your life where you never sin again. If you, ever, if you ever commit that sin again, you haven't truly repented. No, it doesn't mean any of that. The scripture says God repented. Several times it said God repented. 
He said God repented and, and changed his mind about destroying Nineveh because they repented. So God repented. God changed his mind. Put that definition of repentance in that, that scripture where God repented. God was sorry for his sin. God uh, changed his life. God was in tears. God walked down the aisle in sadness. He wept at the altar. That's, no. God just changed his mind. He repented. That's all it means. We got religious baggage on that word, and it's, it's killing the church as if that's the answer to everything, repentance. No, it's not. The answer to everything is Christ and the renewal of the mind to what he, who he is and what he's done. Okay, so you're going out here, and you're going to, you're going to repent, and Instead of going west, you're going to go east, so you take this exit. Now, right here, this guy has repented, right? He's changed his mind. He's on his way, man. He is, I'm going back here, I'm going east, I've repented. He gets right here, and there's this big road construction. And he can't get up on east. The road construction is a picture of Paul saying, I want to, do, I want to go east, but every time I want to go east, I can't go east. What's wrong with... Who shall deliver me from this body of death? There's something triggering in my flesh that I can't do what I really want to do. I repented, but I have this block. What is the deal? This has to do with the renewal of the mind, not repentance. This has to do with seeing who we are in Christ, who Christ is in us. By the Spirit of God, we can go boldly to the throne of grace and say, Lord, I really don't want to do this anymore. I hate this. Help me. What am I not seeing about you and about me that's keeping me from going East. And there's no condemnation whatsoever going to the throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. It's so awesome. And then he shows, you know, whatever it is that he reveals. It might be that, well, daughter, you're trying to live this life on your own. No one can do it but me. Daughter, you live your life more from fear than from faith. You're motivated more by fear than faith in me. Daughter, you don't trust me because you didn't trust your father, your earthly dad. Son, you think I'm going to leave you because someone left you once. I'll never leave you. You think I'm not going to take care of you. You think you're going to run out of money. Everything belongs to me. I can give it to you instantly. And we talk with him. We talk with him. We walk with him. Be still and see salvation. But if you tell this brother, this sister, that he needs to repent, you have put them on a treadmill of false thinking. They have changed their mind. They hate what they're doing. They just need to see him. And they need to see who they are in him. So it's, and what else is missing in this blog is you don't hear anything in the blog about the bride and the bridegroom. I mean, you would, from reading this blog, you would think, God, really, all he's into is cleaning you up. That's really all he's into, morning and night. Show me my sins, I can deal with it. Show me my sins, I can deal with it. Show me my sins, I can deal with it. Show me. God's not in t- 
to cleaning us up as the primary thing. That's really a byproduct of what he's into. It's a byproduct. It's a fruit of what he's into. You know what he's into? We've said, we've said this before. He's into simply being with you. I go to prepare a place for you that you may be with me, that where I am you may be also. And he did that. That's not the second coming. He did that in himself. He did that. There are many dwelling places in my father's house. He is the father's house, raised in three days. We are now living stones, habitations of the spirit, Paul says in Ephesians. We are the house of God. We are in him. He, our head, we, his body. He has done it. He has brought himself into you and you into him. That's his heart. The, the one thing he said to the thief on the cross when he said, remember me, Lord, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Because that's his heart to be with us as a bride and a bridegroom. The bridegroom just wants to be with the bride. The bridegroom is not interested in cleaning up the bride and working on the bride. The bridegroom is madly in love with the bride. In fact, the scripture says, I see no fault in you, my bride. I see no wrinkle, no spot, or any such thing. For I have done it. I have removed all things. Come, run with me, my bride. Run with me. I've done it. He cherishes and nourishes his bride, the scripture says in Ephesians. Nothing like that is in that blog. The blog is completely silent about his mad love for you. Completely silent. That blog is completely silent about the powerful apostolic exhortation to behold the heavenly realm, behold the reality in Christ, set your minds on things above, fix your minds on Jesus. That is totally absent from that blog. And so what people have from this blog, they are sent down a road to the old gnarly tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they eat of it and they die as opposed to the tree of life which is Christ there's so much more that could be said but that's that's the kind of stuff that's out there that we have to discern and help other believers see this is contagious do you feel it? Amen. it's awesome it's contagious. It's, it, it's the way it's supposed to be. If I be lifted up on the cross, Jesus said, if I be lifted up between heaven and earth, I'll draw men unto me. What is he saying? Hereby we perceive the great love of God and that he gave himself for us. When the revelation comes of this great love of God, if I be lifted up between heaven and earth, I'll draw men to me. I've drawn you with loving kindness. With loving kindness, I've drawn you to myself. I have brought you to myself on eagles' wings. I've brought you. I've drawn you. But this awesome God, this awesome love, this mad love, love, his crazy love. He has lavished upon us the grace of God, Ephesians says. He has lavished his grace upon us that in the ages to come, he might show his loving kindness toward us that is in Christ Jesus. You're drawn to him like a powerful gravity pull that's beyond the gravity of this earth. It's awesome. Drawn into the presence without fear, boldly in the throne of grace. Grace. Upon grace, John says, he was full of grace. Grace for grace. Oh. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see these things. I pray that, that we would stand firm in the reality of a love that is everlasting. Oh, God, a love that is everlasting. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness, I have drawn you to myself. Oh, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. We lift the shield of faith that will quench every fiery dart. Help us encourage each other 
knowing each other no more after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And help this brother, this pastor in North Carolina, help him see. Give him a revelation, Lord. Give him a revelation to change what he's saying and change what he's seeing that he might help others. In Jesus' name, amen.